when uh, the Lord describes what this angel's duties will be and what his powers will be, he expects Israel to listen and obey whatever this angel says. In other words, divine direction is assigned to this angel. And so we can say that the pillar of cloud, pillar of fire that led Israel for 40 years in the wilderness is a, is another manifestation of God. Welcome to Mid-America Reformed Seminary's Roundtable Podcast, a broadcast where the faculty of Mid-America discuss everything from Reformed theology, cultural issues, and all things seminary. This is episode 78, and I'm your host, Jared Luchibor. I serve as the Director of Marketing here at Mid-America. Thank you for tuning in. Well, if you've ever done any amount of studying of the Old Testament, you'll notice the various visible manifestations of the Lord throughout redemptive history, particularly that of the Angel of the Lord. Back with me one last time is Old Testament professor Reverend Mark Vanderhart here to go into more detail on this subject of theophany. Reverend Vanderhart, if anyone does a survey of either systematic theology or biblical theology, they'll no doubt run into this topic uh, of what is known as theophany. Can you tell us exactly what a theophany is? The word itself is composed of two uh, Greek words, theos, which means God, and the uh, uh, verb or sometimes an adjective, uh, uh, phanao or phanaros, meaning uh, appearance or manifestation. And so the term came to designate um, a manifestation of God, that is to say, a an appearance of God. Now, in the Old Testament, God could appear in a dream, in a vision, uh, sometimes in a whirlwind and, and, other, and other media. But uh, all of those come under the, the larger term theophany, a manifestation or an appearance of God. Can you give us some examples from Scripture of theophanies? Uh, some of them are more implied and others are more real, Uh, For example, in Genesis 3, God comes to the man and the woman after they have rebelled against God's word, and he he appears to them. Uh, In Genesis chapter 12, verse 7, uh, Abram has been called to leave Ur of the Chaldees. He goes to the land of Canaan, and he builds an altar to the God who appeared to him. Now, how God appeared to Abram at that point is, is not really clear. In other places in the scripture, we have reference to the angel of the Lord. Now, you know, against all Sunday school papers that I encountered when I was growing up, in the Bible, angels do not have wings. Um, Seraphim have wings. Cherubim have wings. I think we have to uh, uh, thank or uh, discredit uh, Michelangelo for his paintings on the Sistine Chapel about thinking of angels as um, chubby little babies with stubby wings. (laughs) Uh, But, okay, so what does an angel look like when he appears? Well, if we go to Judges 13, where the wife of Manoah uh, has a a heavenly being appear to her, she says uh, he was a man of God, he was the messenger of God, the messenger of, of Yahweh, and his appearance was very awesome or fearful or you know very striking 
but she never mentions anything about wings. That probably would have terrified her. Uh, and so the angels of the Lord, the angel of the Lord, when he appears in the Old Testament, appears to be a man. Uh, I think of another occasion where Jacob wrestles with a man at uh, the brook at Peniel, and it says it's a man. The Hebrew word for man is used there. But then after the event is over, uh, Jacob says, I have seen God face to face, and I have survived. He lives through that encounter. And uh, the book of Hosea, in recalling that event, uh, speaks of Jacob encountering a an angel. So you put those ideas together, a man, God, an angel, and again, you sort of summarize it and think, well, when the angel of the Lord appears, he appears to be a man, but since he's coming from the Lord himself, he is other than a man, or he's more than a man. Other appearances of the angel of the Lord are Genesis 18, for example. Abraham is sitting by his tent, and he looks up, and there are three visitors. And um, and the text says, at a certain point, and Yahweh, the Lord, said to Abraham. In other words, what appears to be three men are, in fact, not merely men. One of them is the Lord himself, and then the other two are sent by the Lord to go ahead to the city of Sodom and uh, to deliver Lot and his family. Uh, Probably one of the most striking appearances of the Lord is in Exodus 3, where the text says, and the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses. What's really interesting is that the the terms that come together there, in terms of the divine names, uh, I just want to turn to Exodus 3, verse 2, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. So here you have the angel appearing within fire, but it's fire that doesn't destroy the bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, and yet it was not consumed. And then verse 3, And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, uh, why the bush is not burned. And then the text makes this interesting switch. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush. And so it's not like we have two different beings, the Lord and God, and maybe a third being, the angel, the angel is there in the fire. The angel is watching Moses. The angel sees Moses turn aside. That is to say, the Lord saw him turn aside. And so, the angel of the Lord, in this instance at least, is the Lord. And uh, that becomes even clearer when Moses asks him, and what's your name? If you expect me to go to the Israelites who are in slavery in Egypt and tell them, you know, the God of our fathers has appeared to me, they'll say, what's his name? What is your name? And then he gives his divine name. I am who I am. That is, I am Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so once again, God manifests himself. He makes an appearance, sometimes as a man, sometimes in flame of fire. One of the more Interesting appearances, or shall we say activities of the angel, is recorded for us in Exodus 23, where God 
uh, clearly indicates that uh, he's going to lead his people through the pillar, and he's going to lead his people through his angel. And then he says, and my name will be in him. That's interesting. Well, if the divine name is Yahweh, what creature can have uh, Yahweh's name in him? And when uh, the Lord describes what this angel's duties will be and what his powers will be, uh, he expects Israel to listen and obey whatever this angel says. In other words, divine direction is now deputized. Divine direction is assigned to this angel. And so we can say that the pillar of cloud, pillar of fire that led Israel for 40 years in the wilderness is a, is another manifestation of God. It's an appearance of God. Not that they could see his face. When Moses asks permission to see God face to face with, you know, no, uh, mediation, nothing in between, God says, oh, that's, that, that can't happen. No man can see me and live. But what I'll do is I'll put you in the cleft of the rock, I'll cover you, and I'll pass by, and you'll see my after parts, whatever that means, my backside. And again, the text is uh, teasingly brief and vague as to what he saw, and maybe that's to our advantage, because if we had a physical description of what Moses saw as the Lord passed by, uh, we might be tempted to engage in all kinds of uh, uh, pictorial uh, representations or all kinds of iconography. And uh, the text says, no, 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 don't do that. What's interesting is that since we get so very little physical description of what the angel might have looked like, therefore the verbal uh, representations in the text take on added added uh, importance. Because we remember God's people shall not be taught by dumb images, which cannot speak, but by the living preaching of his word. In, the, in other words, uh, the text takes us to itself. And uh, we, we learn what this angel has come to do, what this angel uh, is for us in terms of uh, a messenger on assignment from the Lord himself. So why do most theologians believe that this angel of the Lord, if you, if you look at a lot of texts in, again, in systematics or in biblical theology, you'll see a lot of theologians agree that this angel of the Lord is, uh, a, the second person of the Trinity, the pre-incarnate Christ, if you will. What do you, what do you think about that? Whenever the angel of the Lord is mentioned, um, quite often you switch directly in the text from and the angel of the Lord said this, or the angel of the Lord did that. And then a few verses later, it just doesn't even say angel. It just says, the Lord, Yahweh, said to to whomever. And um, which then gives us some warrant to say that uh, the, the angel, at least in some of the appearances, is Yahweh himself, appearing as a man, apparently, but it is Yahweh himself. Um one passage that I think is helpful here and maybe as a kind of key that unlocks the identity, I'm thinking of um, John chapter 12. And this is getting close to uh, Jesus' final passion. Um, it's before the um, 
Last Supper with his disciples. And um, in one of his encounters with the Jews, with Greeks who've come to the feast, they want to see Jesus. We read in John 12, verse 36, when Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. And now you have a reference to Isaiah 53. Lord, who has believed what what he heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And then it goes on. Therefore, they could not believe, for again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart, and turn and would heal them, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Well, when did Isaiah see the Lord's glory? Well, now we move from Isaiah 53, the earlier quotation, to Isaiah chapter 6, where in the year that King Isaiah died, Isaiah was in the temple, and he saw the Lord. Now, it doesn't use the word Yahweh there. He saw the Lord seated high and lifted up, and his train filled uh, the whole temple, and the temple is filled with smoke, and the six-winged seraphim cry back, uh, back and forth, holy, holy, holy. In other words, Jesus manifested himself as the enthroned Lord, and Isaiah saw that, saw his glory. Now, he didn't know him by the name Jesus, for Jesus is not yet incarnate. He is not yet born of the Virgin Mary, but I believe we can say on the analogy of Scripture and comparing Scripture with Scripture that Christ, the second person of the Trinity, did from time to time manifest himself uh, before uh, before his people for specific purposes. And therefore, I don't think the point is, can we prove that every single theophany is Jesus manifesting himself? I don't think we have to prove that every single theophany is necessarily Jesus incarnate. But so many times, uh, the word Yahweh is used as the speaker. He it's his words that are coming from this angel of the Lord. Quite often, there he makes his manifestation at very critical appear, uh, points, very critical and very important moments in redemptive history. Quite often, there is an important name change, and that often is very significant as well. You think of Abram becoming Abraham, Sarai becoming Sarah, at the wrestle, after the wrestling match. This mysterious stranger, the man, God, angel, uh, changes Jacob's name to Israel, the one who uh, struggled with God and won. And uh, even when Jesus is born and manifests himself in the land of Palestine, Cephas becomes Peter, and later on, Saul, the Benjaminite Pharisee, uh, becomes Paul which means small, the bondservant of the Lord. And so names are changed. Uh, significant events are announced. Here, here's another very uh, striking description. I turn to Judges 13, where we mentioned earlier that the wife of Manoah from the tribe of Dan uh, 
she is confronted by a, a man of God, an angel of the Lord, who gives directions to her on her upcoming pregnancy. Uh, her son is to be a Nazarite, a dedicated-to-the-Lord person, and therefore in preparation for his ministry, and the text says he will begin the deliverance from the Moabites, or the, uh, the Philistines, rather, from the Philistines. Well, he's a forerunner then of the final uh, or a later deliverer, that will be David. When Manoah and his wife get these full instructions, they ask him to stay for lunch. In good Middle Eastern um, hospitality, they, they want to honor uh, the visitor who has given them these directions, and the angel refuses to have a meal with them. He refuses. And instead, what he does is he touches the, um, the food, the offering, and it becomes an offering, and it goes up in flame and smoke. And the text tells us that, and when the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. So here you have this divine messenger ascending in a flaming cloud. Does this remind you of something in the New Testament later on? When Jesus ascends in the cloud, that is, in the flaming cloud. And then Manoah and his wife were watching, and they fell on the faces on their faces to the ground. The angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. But now notice, and Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die, for we have seen God. But his wife said to him, if the Lord had wanted, had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering at our hands, or shown us all these things, and or announced to us such things as these. Now earlier, and so his departure is very striking. It's no human being could ever do this. Earlier, they asked for his name because the giving of a name is very important. A name is a handle. It's how you, shall we say, take hold of another person. And the text tells us, why do you ask my name? Because it is wonderful that it is, it's an extraordinary name. It's beyond your comprehension, really. And the word that is used in Judges 13 to describe his name as wonderful is the same word or root word used in Isaiah 9, verse 6. And he shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Uh, literally, uh, a wonder of one who gives counsel. The wonder of one who gives advice. The wonder of a counselor. Wonderful Counselor. And those are not two different words as... Uh, Handel's Messiah would suggest, wonderful counselor. And so if we identify those uh, wonderful names in Isaiah 9 with the upcoming uh, Jesus Christ, already then in Judges 13, I think we have a manifestation of Christ. And it's interesting, he will not have a meal with these two people. And now that he's become incarnate, and that he's died on the cross and been raised from the dead, now he does have a meal with us. And now we do know his name. Uh, his name is Jesus, uh, in whom uh, Yahweh, Yahweh is the name in him. Yahweh saves. The Lord delivers. The Lord saves his people from his sins. 
And so now, in this new redemptive era, Jesus has become the host at a meal in which he provides his own body as food, his own blood as drink. And this shows that already in the Old Testament, Jesus Christ is working. He's not waiting until his birth at Bethlehem. He's already working for the deliverance of his people. The Old Testament certainly is a treasure trove filled with so many biblical golden nuggets and theological gems for us to learn about. And we thank and appreciate Reverend Vanderhart and his many years of service to Mid-America Reformed Seminary in the Old Testament Department uh, and his guiding our students along in their knowledge of God's Word. Next up to bat is Professor of Doctrinal Studies, Dr. J. Mark Beach, taking us through a three-part series on the Kingdom of God. I hope you can join us for that conversation next time. For more episodes, you can find us on our website and wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Be sure to search for and subscribe to Mid-America Reformed Seminaries Roundtable. I'm Jared Luchibor. Till next time.